Always good to be back. I was just uh, giving your pastor a big hug down there, saying, man, that's a wonderful church. And, uh, you know, I, I was here a year ago, and even since then, just see so many wonderful evidences of God's grace. And so glad you are here in this community making a difference for the gospel. And thank you for the privilege of being back. How many of you were at the prayer summit yesterday? Any of you? All right, it was great. It was the fastest six hours I've ever spent, wasn't it? Uh, people showed up. How can I pray for six hours? I usually can't pray for six minutes. But somehow it was over all of a sudden. We wish you had more. And that's the way it works when you seek the Lord and he ministers to you so richly. Uh, just a few brief announcements uh, as we prepare to turn in our Bibles. Uh, one of which is we every Monday put out a devotion we call it Monday Motivator. If you'd like to get that, you can sign up at our website. Also, there's a note on our table back there that'll remind you. Uh, it's strategicrule.com slash ebook. But the ebook is Transforming Truths for Troubled Times. So some say, I'm not in trouble today. Well, wait till tomorrow. Uh, and if that wasn't the case, yesterday was that way, right? So it's always happening. And it is the truth of God's word that encourages us. That's a free ebook we'd love for you to download there. Also, uh, Cinco de Mayo is coming, and we on that day are going to be in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Tabernacle, spending a day with Pastor Jim Simmel, the wonderful people there, maybe familiar with Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, uh, some teaching segments, some prayer moments, some Q&A with Pastor Jim, as well as attending their prayer meeting, which is just a game changer. For over 40 years, every Tuesday night, they have 2,500 to 3,000 people come every week, and it'll light, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. So uh, we want you to come and join us and uh, be encouraged uh, on that day. And then finally, uh, we're coming back to the region in October. Our actual national conference will be right down the road, a church called the Chapel in Akron. And not only some really wonderful keynote speakers, but dozens of seminars, workshops for men, for women, uh, pastors, non-pastors. That'll be October 12 through 14. Uh, we have some little flyers about that as well at the table you can pick up, but we hope you'll join us. And it'll be a wonderful time of just spiritual infusion and encouragement. Invite your friends. Uh, we'll just have Cuyahoga be the big group, and we'll recognize you, give out free something to you, all right? And uh, say thank you, but it'll be a great time. Uh, and I'll be afterwards at our book table. My son Jordan is back there. I always say he got all his good looks from, from me because my wife still has hers, so uh, that's the only way I can figure it out. Uh, but nonetheless, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or snide remarks, we'll be back there to interact with you. Take your Bible, if you will. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We actually won't be reading the text for a few moments, but I hope you'll be keeping your place there. And as part of the search and rescue series, our message today is titled, Praying for the Sake of the Gospel. All right, would you pray with me once more before we dive into God's Word? So Father, we come in Jesus' name and by your Holy Spirit to thank you for these moments of worship in which our minds are renewed with the glory of Christ, the promises of your word, and we are enriched by the fellowship of your people. And now would you give to your servant understanding, unction, and utterance, understanding to know exactly what you want to say now in this moment beyond even the preparation, unction to say it in the power of your spirit, utterance to make it clear to your people so that the life-giving seed of God's word will fall on fertile soil and bring forth Christ-honoring fruit in our obedience, in our empowerment, and truly in our living for the sake of the gospel. And we pray this for, sake, for the sake of that gospel and for the name and glory of our Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So how many of you prayed this week? 
Yeah, pretty unanimous. Somebody said, thank you for the food we got. Let's get to while it's hot. Amen, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. We always spray something. And statistics indicate that the vast majority of the American population, secular and crazy as we seem, pray. Uh, some pray for a parking place at the mall. Uh, some pray to a totem pole. We, we, but, but they understand there's something outside of us that we need in those key moments of life. So I think for this crowd today, the question is, is not do we pray, but how do we pray, right? What does our prayer look like? What's the focus, the content, and really why does it matter for our practical daily lives? I happen to have the joy living in Colorado now. I give you greetings from Denver, the mile-high city. Some of you get that. Anyway, uh, I didn't vote for that. Nonetheless, it is what it is, all right? So, uh, but, but years ago, I was visiting Colorado Springs, and a pastor on staff there gave me a chart that I thought was so helpful. For a month, he tracked all the prayer requests that came into the church, and he categorized them in terms of their focus and content. And so this is what it looked like. Maybe you'll relate to this. Uh, 50%, half the prayers were about events and happenings. Susie's joining yoga class, pray for her. Uh, John's truck broke down, pray for that. Uh, you know, Steve's going off to college, whatever it is, right? All those things. No surprise, the next big category, I'm surprised, it's a pretty healthy church apparently. Only 23% was illness and infirmity. Uh, you know, uh, the organ recital, we call it, right? Billy's bile ducts, Sally's stomach, you know, uh, Peter's pimples, whatever it is. And we're praying for all of, you can tell I have, by the way, a gift of sarcasm. I'm sorry about that. It is listed in the book of 2 Daniel, which I'm still working on, but nonetheless, it, it's going to come out today. Uh, then there are unspoken requests. I have no idea what those are. That's just like someone sticking beans up your nose. You have no idea what the purpose of this is. And then you got nation and politics. That slice of the pie be a little bit bigger today. Uh, and let's see, what else we got? War and deployed. Obviously, we're concerned about that. But would you notice something? Only 6% was focused on lost persons, people going to a Christless eternity apart from the gospel. And only 5% was focused on missions and ministry areas. Now, again, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm just saying it is what it is. That tends to be the way we pray. We're well-intended, but we may be dramatically misguided. Often we're just doing what we've always heard, right? Doing what we've always done. This is kind of how they did it, the old-fashioned midweek prayer meeting when I was a kid. This is the way Grandma Susan prayed, so it's the way I pray. It's kind of like little Susie. Maybe you heard the story. She was helping her mom one day in the kitchen. They'd invite a bunch of guests over, and it was stressful. Mom was regretting it. Finally, the guests arrived, and, you know, they're just doing the best they can. And, and uh, mom spontaneously turns to Susie, said, Susie, would you pray for the meal? And Susie, you know, well, I don't know what to pray. I'm just a little kid. No, Susie, just, just pray what you've heard me pray. Okay. So she bowed her head. Dear Lord. Why did I invite all these people over for dinner tonight? In Jesus' name, amen, right? I would suggest that chart is kind of like little Susie. We just pray about the stuff we've always thought we're supposed to pray about. But I think there is a better way. Say, aren't we supposed to ask for things? Of course we are. Yes, we're supposed to ask for things. Throughout the Bible, people ask for things of God. In the New Testament, people ask for things of God. Asking is a part of prayer. I would suggest it is not the foundation and beginning place of prayer, but it is a function of prayer. Asking is the doorway to not just getting my next lunch or luxury item, 
uh, but discovering really the will of God and the power of a transformed life as I pray. And I'm grateful the Father cares about all of our needs, and he does. If you don't get anything else today, God loves you. You can talk to him about anything at all. Um, the Bible says he takes care of the lilies. He clothes them. He feeds the birds. Uh, he even cares so much he counts the hairs on our head. And I'm saving him a lot of time so he can take better care of you, obviously. I don't know if peach fuzz counts, but maybe that gives me a little more time. Amen, brother. I see some fellowship of the forehead brothers in here right now. <laughs> so he cares. He does care. But again, I believe that every problem in our Christian life is ultimately a prayer problem. Every misfire is a prayer misfire. And so if we can change the way we pray, we can change the way we live. And I think we can change our whole sense of fulfillment about being here on this earth today. So, yes, we are supposed to ask, but I would suggest that we are supposed to ask with a biblical focus, all right, with a biblical focus. And I'm going to just illustrate this briefly before we jump into Acts chapter 4. How do we know how we should pray? Obviously, Susie didn't have it straight, and sometimes we don't either. Sometimes our par chart looks kind of normal, but maybe it's not so right after all. Well, I think one of the ways we learn how to pray is thinking about Jesus and how he prayed. Do you know the Bible is not silent about how Jesus prayed? Yeah, we have instances where he prayed. We don't know what he said. Times when he blessed people, we don't know exact content. Times when he withdrew to pray by himself, we assume is probably about what he was called to do on this earth. But we do actually have recorded prayer. So if you look at the next slide, now, uh, take relief. We're not going to read through all those. In fact, I'm literally just putting up there for effect. And if you really want to know what those verses say, you can take a picture, which some people have done, or in your 21 days of prayer, it's day six, all right? So that would be, what, like this Friday or Saturday or something? You'll read that if you're on this book. But I would tell you this. You have to trust me on this. All of Jesus' prayers were focused on the glory of the Father. All of Jesus' prayers reflected his submission to the Father's will. All of Jesus' prayers were about his mission on earth and about the faithful and fruitful mission of his followers. Trust me on that. Check it out for yourself. It's not the only record we have of praying. There's a guy named the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Some people call him the greatest Christian that ever lived. And as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write his books, many of those letters came out of his praying or included his praying. And so you see those again. We won't go through them all. Trust me on this. All of Paul's prayers came out of a spirit of thanksgiving and worship. All of his prayers were, were focused on, again, his completing of the mission of God, praying for the fullness of the life of Christ in the churches, all for the sake of the gospel. Wow. In fact, here's another little point. Paul actually asked for prayer. He never asked for prayer for his acid reflux, you know, or uh, they said he had a big nose and he was bald. So, you know, I can relate to what might have been on his heart too. But uh, he didn't pray about any of that stuff. When he asked for prayer, what he asked for was God's power and protection for the sake of the mission. He asked that doors would be open for the gospel. He asked, pray for me that I'll be bold and I'll be, be absolutely committed to sharing the good news of Christ everywhere I go. So again, we look at the chart, then we look at the Bible and we realize something's not aligned here. And we've got to decide where we're going to land, don't we? 
There was one uh, very well-known professor named D.A. Carson, highly respected theologian, who made a comment about all of this. And I would, let me warn you to put your steel-toed boots on right now, okay? And I'll blame him for the pain that this will inflict. You're going to say, Henderson, I, got a, I lost an hour's sleep so I could come here and get this punch in the gut. Yeah, I'm sorry, but it is what it is. Here's what he says, D.A. Carson. He says, we must ask ourselves how far the petitions we commonly present to God are in line with what Paul prays for. Suppose, for example... That 80 or 90 percent, he must have seen that pie chart, right? 80, 90 percent of our petitions ask God for good health, recovery from illness, safety on the road, a good job, success in exams, the emotional needs of our children, success in our mortgage application. By the way, let me reiterate, God cares about all those things, all right? He's got them. He is all good. He is all powerful. He's all sovereign. He's all knowing. He is Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah, all kinds of names. That's who he is. But notice what, what Carson goes on to say. Uh, he says, and much more of the same. How much of Paul's praying revolves around equivalent items? If the center of our praying is far removed from the center of Paul's praying, then even our very praying may serve as a wretched testimony. Wow, here we go. Buckle up. To the remarkable success of the processes of paganization in our life and thought. Wow. I'll be honest. I mean, I came to Christ as a boy. I've been in ministry for decades. I'm still surprised at how selfish my prayers can be, how self-oriented my life can be. Aren't you grateful that there's a greater cause, a greater mission, a life-changing focus? And you say, Henderson, come on, let up a little bit. All right, so here we're going we're gonna to go positive now. And I want to show you one more thing about prayer that I think will be an encouragement to you, and that is how the early church prayed, all right? So here's a point. You saw all those verses about how Jesus prayed? You saw all those references about how Paul prayed? You saw all those references about what he asked for prayer? So when we go to the early church and how they prayed, it's crazy. There's one reference. There's one reference. You say, what do you mean? The early church prayed. Yeah, it's referenced all the time that they did pray. But there's actually only one passage that tells us how they prayed. And so here's one more download to our hearts to help us perhaps realize there may be something more powerful and better in how I focus my prayer life. And it's found in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. All right, we're going to read it together right now, very briefly, then we'll walk back through it. Let me set the context. If you've studied the book of Acts, you, you may remember this. In chapter 3, leading up to chapter 4, Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray, and there's a lame man there who's begging for alms. He's, he's kind of, uh, you know, asking for donations. And Peter and John say what most preachers say, silver and gold have I none, right? They're poor preachers, all right? But such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping. If you grew up in church, remember that little ditty, right? And that created a hubbub. People got, they got their attention. Peter stood up and preach for the sake of the gospel. And the number of men came to be 5,000 converts. Wow. Well, this really ticks off the Jewish leaders because this is rocking their system. So for the first time now, they arrest the disciples, Peter and John. They interrogate them, which is an amazing story of what they saw in the lives of these two common men. But then they release them and they threaten them to stop preaching this good news of Jesus Christ. So this is where we pick it up in verse 23. Read with me if you will, all right? It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Now, here's the only detailed record of how the early church prayed, okay? 
And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, now they are quoting the Bible, all right? They are praying out of the Bible back to God. God didn't need to know what the Bible said, by the way, all right? They needed to have a change in their focus. So Psalm 2, they quote, why did the Gentiles rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And now it's kind of like an aha moment for truly, yes, in this city. They were, emphasis being mine, all right? They were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the Jews. In other words, all the people conspired against Jesus. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predetermined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I would suggest to you what they did, and this, this is one of my mantras, as I may have told you last year. I got all these one-liners. Uh, I want them on my tombstone, by the way. My kids are belly aching because they can't afford the tombstone. Uh, so I'm just saying, save up and get me a mausoleum or something, right? Uh, they now have QR codes. I may have said this before, where you can just come up with your smartphone and get all my one-liners, all right? But here's one of them. They engage in what I call scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer, all right? You see that on the screen? Say it with me. Scripture-fed, spirit-led, worship-based prayer compared to just praying whatever comes to my mind, compared to just praying what I feel like praying, compared to just going for God's hand and getting my goodies from him. Instead, they pray out of the word of God. They pray as the spirit prompts them and they pray starting with worship and not their own need. All right. So my gift of sarcasm one more, well, I can't promise one more time, but once again, if this moment had happened in today's typical world uh, of, of the church, Here's what I think it might have looked like. Peter walks in, dudes, we're being persecuted. They're trying to squash us, trying to put us out of business. This is bad news, man. This is stressful. This is hard. So let's have a prayer meeting. I got a prayer request, Peter says. Pray for me. Pray for my anger issue. You know, I whacked that dude's ear off not long ago. I'm feeling it again. I'd love to whack some ears off here. Would you pray for my anger issue? Okay, we'll write that down. John's a little more tender. He says, pray for me. I'm feeling really anxious right now. And it's okay, we'll pray for John's anxiety. By the way, I'm not making fun of anxiety or anger. We all struggle with some of that, don't we? Those were real issues. But they happen to know God's, God's got this stuff, right? There's, there's something bigger here going on. So then Martha, you know, she's type A. She said, pray for me. I'm so worked up. I need direction. I'm going to find the best lawyer in Jerusalem. I'm going to the, sue the robes off. So she writes that down, all right. And then Mary, she's a little different. She says, pray, I just need some, some strength to recruit some volunteers to do some protest posters. All right, write that down. You know, Thomas has to get in on it. Pray for me. I'm doubting again. I'm doubting again. So they write that down, right? Now, those, again, are real needs. But that's not where they started their prayer. You say, why didn't they start their prayer there? That's how we do it. I'll tell you why. Because two times in the Gospels, Jesus told them how to pray. And we call it the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, depending on what your background is. <clears throat> One thing you may not know 
is that when Jesus gave them that prayer, he said, pray this way. And in the original language, it's what we call a present imperative. Now, you don't have to remember that except, <coughs> excuse me, that what that means is Jesus literally said, you must pray this way and you must always pray this way. Now, that's not just quoting the words, that's experiencing the reality of the prayer. So here's the question. These disciples weren't the sharpest, you know, they weren't the sharpest knives in the drawer. But did they listen to him? Did they change the way they prayed? Did, did they really take to heart what Jesus told them to do? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. You always ask good questions when I'm here, and I appreciate it. It kind of helps me preach, all right? Did they actually listen? I want to give you more illustration, then we'll dig in. I live in Colorado. There's a place called Red Rocks there where we have beautiful, wonderful concerts. Maybe you've seen it on TV. Maybe you've been there. We went to hear the Colorado Symphony Orchestra a while back, and you know how that works. You got the percussion and the brass and the strings and the woodwinds are all warming up, and, and then the conductor walks out, and everyone applauds, and they're getting excited, and he takes his place on that stand. He raises his baton. Everybody's watching with just, you know, they're raptured in that moment, and imagine that when he lowers his baton, instead of everybody playing off the same sheet of music, they just decide to play whatever comes to their mind. Man, Bach to rock. I mean, it's this eclectic mismatch of notes that are conflicted and, you know, the conductor's going to drop his baton. Everybody's going to want their money back. It's a disaster. You say, what's the point of that? Well, that's kind of how most of our prayer meetings look. We just kind of come and start talking about whatever's on our mind. Instead, we see in the book of Acts here, they're all playing off of the same sheet of music under the same conductor, and I call it, as you know, Scripture-fed, Spirit-led, say it again, worship-based prayer. So, all right, Henderson, let's get to it. All right, let's do it. Verse 23, and when they were released, they went to their friends, reported what the chief priests and elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, literally like a united concert of voices, all right? First thing out of their mouth was, say it with me, those two words, sovereign Lord. Say it again, sovereign Lord. You say, well, that's a big Bible word. What's that mean? That means he is in control. He is in charge. That kind of helps me. I'm a little out of control at times, and this world is out of control. And I don't know what you're doing in terms of managing your pain, your confusion, your struggle, but I want to tell you a really great starting point is Sovereign Lord. Who? By the way, these are all phrases extracted from the Old Testament. They're praying the Bible back to God. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Uh, we have a little booklet back there called 21 Days to a Deeper Life, and it's about a personal renewal process I go through. The first question I answer, in fact, I, I could show it to you. It's right in the front of my Bible, is my personal theology. You know what the first thing in my personal theology says? My God is creator. So all of life has divine design and spiritual purpose. You know what my second theology statement is? My God is sovereign. He's always in control no matter how wonky life can feel, right? This is where they started. And again, how do we manage these struggles of life? We put our mind on God. Aren't you gr glad there's a greater reality? There is a greater power. There is a greater truth beyond all the muck of life. In fact, Isaiah 26 says, you will keep him in perfect peace who learns to breathe deeply and put his hands on a warm mug and think happy thoughts. Now, that may help, all right? 
There's that gift again kicking in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Wow. So why did they pray like that? I'll tell you why. Jesus said, when you pray, start here. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy, hallowed is your name. They actually listened to Jesus. That's where they started their prayers. He said, well, what about their anxiety and their stress? Yeah, that's all real. But they started with God. Changed the way they pray, and they changed the way they live. I want you to see the second thing they did. They then literally surrendered to his will and his purpose as they prayed. I want you to see what it says here next in terms of what the early church, they said, so truly in this city, yes. Here's the point. God's word helped them make sense of their situation. How many of you have ever had that point where the word of God suddenly makes everything clear in your life, haven't you? Especially when you're praying the Bible. They have just quoted from Psalm 2 and say, yeah, truly. Kind of like the great theologian Gomer Pyle used to say, look here, right? This makes sense all of a sudden. Yes, that's what's happening in this city. But I want you to see verse 28. You see those last few lines? I want you to read those with me. You see them on the screen? To do, say that with me. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predetermined to take place. You remember the second part of that prayer Jesus said, you got to always pray this way? Your, some of you will know this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So they started with reverence toward God and they moved to a response of submission and yieldedness and alignment of their hearts to the plan of a good and sovereign God. I say it often, it's so true in my own life, I don't even know what to pray about or how to pray about it until I've worshiped well and surrendered completely. And at that point, I'm praying according to God's will now, because that's where my heart is, right? Now I'm praying in Jesus' name, which is not three words you tack on at the end of your prayer to win the lottery, by the way, all right? It's, it's actually praying the way Jesus would pray, praying with the heart of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus in your heart. This is praying in the Holy Spirit, praying the Holy Spirit's way to pray. And so they came to this place of trusting him and surrendering to his word and his will. But I want you to see what happens now as we pick up in verse 29. And now they trust him for their immediate needs, their immediate needs. Verse 29 says, and now, Lord, now they shift to their their need, don't they? Now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Literally, that phrase, look upon their threats, means concern yourself with this, Lord. Look at what's going on, examine our situation, and and show us what action to take. So their meeting need is, Lord, be with us. Remind us that you're going to show us what to do. Remind us that you are going to give us your direction. And then, of course, part of that model prayer is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's relational, isn't it? But what's the relationship they're thinking about right now? It's relating back to these guys who are trying to put them out of business. So what do they say? Poke their eyes out. Dash their babies against their... No, that's what they say. That's what the psalmist said on occasion. But in this case, what'd they say? They said, Lord, would you give us boldness to speak your word? 
These guys need your word. They need to understand the life-giving truth of Jesus. They need to understand the, the power of the gospel. They need to be free of, of the dead religion that they're protecting. They, they need to be delivered from this antagonism. They need the good news of the gospel. And, you know, we live in a world that is becoming increasingly hostile toward our Savior. And what do we do? We say, Lord, strike him with lightning. No, 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 no. Say, Lord, fill us with boldness to give them the good word of God. And they said, now, God, we need you to do stuff only you can do. Stretch out your hand, work miracles, remind them that this Jesus is Lord and he is risen and he is powerful. And so this was their point of trusting God for their immediate needs. Wow. And really, they said, we just want to go back. And they didn't run from the battle. They said, we want to go back into the battle with the life-giving love of the gospel of Jesus. Wow. And then, finally, you see in verse 31, they went out in the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. Look at what it says here, that they, it says, when they had prayed, the place where they were together was shaken. Now, Chad and I lived in California for decades. I've been in one of those prayer meetings, all right? It's called aftershock, right? But this was a miracle. God miraculously shakes the building. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you. But I want you to notice what happens. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They once again came under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, I wrote a whole book on this called Transforming Presence, but I, and I may have said this last time. It's a big deal to me. The Holy Spirit did not fill the building. Jesus didn't die to fill buildings. Jesus died so that our hearts would become the temple of God, right? The Holy Spirit's not some mystical smoke you conjure in from the air vents. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who lives in us, the very spirit of the resurrection. And so, yeah, God shook the building, but he filled them. And they were under the control of the Holy Spirit afresh and anew. And what did they do? They went out and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So quick review. Yeah, we kind of pray this way. It's okay, God's, God's patient with us, thank the Lord. But Jesus prayed this way. Paul prayed this way. Paul requested prayer this way, and Jesus taught him to pray this way, and the only account we have of it, the early church did the same. They prayed for the sake of the gospel. Wow. You say, well, you know, that, that's nice, but, you know, Daniel, I got, I got problems. I got a prodigal son. I'm fighting cancer. I'm dealing with anxiety. I lost my job. Your father cares, doesn't he? But let me give you one thought, one takeaway here, that while you pray about those things, I think will change it all. Two words I want to give you, and you see it on the screen, so that. Say that with me, so that. Say it again, so that. You say, what are you, what are you, what are you saying, Daniel? Throughout all of Paul's writings, this is a Greek word called henna. He used this word all the time. And now that you've seen it, it's going to be like you're reading the Bible with new glasses. Everything he taught, everything he prayed, always had this little idea, so that. You say, what do you mean, Daniel? Pray for me, I'm going in for surgery. So that what? So that the Holy Spirit will manifest Jesus while I'm there. To nurses that don't know him. So that should I live through the surgery, I will live for Christ. And by the way, Paul said to die is gain, right? I mean, the reality is his whole point was that Christ would be magnified in everything, death or life. Uh, pray, pray for my, my job search. Why? So that God may put me in a situation 
or I can be a light in darkness for the sake of the gospel. Pray for my prodigal son so that he may once again be arrested by the gospel and find the purpose for which God made him. You, you see how that would play out. And all of this stuff about how Jesus prayed, Paul prayed, the early church prayed, really comes down to us just making an adjustment, right? That everything I pray about, I add that so that. And I believe God would change our lives, change the way that we pray. One guy said it this way, if God answered all the prayers you prayed in the last month, would anything in the world change or only in your world change? It's a good reminder, isn't it? Say, come on, Henderson, you know, I punched me in the gut once. Here's another one, right? But, but it's a good question, isn't it? Because it begs the question of how and why we pray and what the outcome is. Search and rescue, I love that theme. You may have heard this illustration before. If you did, somebody stole it from me, okay? But my pastoring of decades, I learned that so many believers almost have a mindset that Christianity is my cruise ship to heaven. You know, I trusted Jesus, and now I'm in the fold, and, and now we're on this luxury spiritual cruise ship to heaven, right? And, and you see it come out, their mindset as well. You know, Chad's the cruise director. He's responsible to make sure the midnight buffet works for me, and, and the staff, they got to turn down my pillow and put a chocolate on it at night, and these dudes got to make sure the music in the lounge is exactly what I want, you know, all that stuff. But the reality is that we are on a search and rescue ship. And depending on what ship you're on, change the way you pray, right? Cruise ship, oh, Lord, help me not to gain too much weight at the midnight buffet. Lord, I pray that my clothes will fit when I get home. It's such an important issue, you know. But when you're on a rescue ship, Lord, help me find that one. Lord, let my heart break over the things that break your heart. Lord, help me to have eyes to see the needs around me. And I would just, uh, this last service, I'll cheat a little bit here. One last illustration. When Jesus saved you, he could have easily beamed you up to heaven right then, right? And if you've heard this before, they stole it from me too, all right? But why did Jesus leave you here? Well, you might say, well, to worship. Oh, I love worship, right? It's great. But here's a newsflash. Your worship in heaven is going to be much more perfect than your worship here. No one in worship is going to complain about the new seating arrangement. I tell you that, honestly. Uh, I, I picked up on that lately, all right? When you get to heaven, no one's going to be fussing about the drums or the hymns or the praise courses, you know, because guess what? You're going to be perfect. You're going to be so consumed with Jesus, it won't matter. Even if the angels are a little louder than your taste, Okay. Won't matter. Sarcasm, there it is again. I'm sorry. <laughs> Say, well, but the Lord left me here for knowledge, to learn the Bible, and that's a really great thing. But here's another new flat news flash. When you get to heaven, you're going to have perfect knowledge. You won't be debating about certain verses. You won't be splitting up into denominations. We'll all have perfect knowledge. Say, well, the Lord left me here for fellowship, to enjoy people, and that's a beautiful thing as well. But your fellowship will be perfect in heaven. No more resentment, no more arguments, no more bitterness, unforgiveness. See, the one reason he left you here is so that you can be part of the search and rescue mission because that's the one thing you can't do in heaven that you can do here. So that, so that we may be on mission with God, so that we may be filled with the Holy Spirit to demonstrate Jesus, so that we might indeed be light in the midst of darkness. 
And I guess my prayer, I hope it's your prayer, once again, I need it. You know, you think I'm a prayer guy? No, I got to keep learning to pray, is this final statement, Lord, teach us to pray. Say it with me. Lord, teach us to pray. Would you stand with me? As the instruments play quietly, I just want to lead you in a brief moment of response of prayer. And first and foremost, I need to say that if you're here today and you don't know Christ, <laughs> I think you're here because somebody's been praying for you. <laughs> somebody's been praying so that. Help me love this person so that they can maybe join me at church and hear the life-changing message of the gospel. They're praying because they love you. You're not a project. You're a passion. You're a passion of the heart of God. And even now, perhaps, you would say, Lord, would you hear my heart, take my life? Would you help me repent of my sin and trust Jesus alone for purpose, for eternal destiny, for transformation so that I will have a reason to live on this earth? Believers, we just see, saw that the early church was filled with the Holy Spirit so that they could speak the word of God with boldness, right? So I'm going to ask you right now, just in the quietness of your heart, your heart to God's heart, would you make that your prayer? Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit right now. Take fresh control of my mind, my emotions, my will. Holy Spirit, be in charge so that... What's he putting on your heart? What's the so that today? Would you just quietly give that to him? Holy Spirit, fill me so that. Lord, you hear our prayers right now. So that I will have endurance and, and represent Jesus till my final breath. So that I will love my wife as Christ loves the church for your glory so that I'll respect my husband, so that you'll be honored in our marriage. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so that huh, I can obey my parents and the Lord and learn all that you want me to learn of what it means to follow Jesus. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can be a witness on campus. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so that as I go through this incredible physical trial, people will see Jesus in me. Friends, the prayers go on and on, don't they? So, Lord, would you fill us, control us with the Holy Spirit so that we will live for the sake of the gospel. And we say to you once again with heartfelt sincerity, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And all God's people said, amen.